day and welcome to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality podcast. I'm Jackie Parry and it's good to have your company. Today I'm going to tell you about our experience in Mexico. This episode is brought to you by Pantaneous Yacht Insurance. Futile thoughts, towing traumas and exploding toms. Is it a scam? I had to ask. Checking in costs are expected. Additional insurance is not. It was not a scam. Specifically, Mexican liability insurance is a prerequisite, or so we thought. Insurance can be purchased through an agent in San Diego or when checking in to Mexico. The cruiser's jungle drums beat out a tune saying it was cheaper buying this prior to arrival. As heavily budgeted cruisers, we actually considered bypassing Mexico altogether. But that was just one of our childish sulks we indulge in from time to time. Later, we were irritated to find cruisers with standard insurance i.e. not of Mexican origin, that was accepted. Itching to leave the States, ditch the mobile phone and collect more great sensual experiences, we turned our bows towards Mexico. Coasting south, we viewed jagged rocks standing tall and proud, lining white sugar beaches that are randomly scattered between the parched earth. Our first stop was Salinas, which was an overnighter from our last stop, San Diego, and into a new marina. The entrance is narrow and has a distinct East Coast of Australia bar feel, creating a strong desire to make use of a rather large blindfold. The marina is reasonable at 30 US dollars a night, but there is no running water directly to each slip. The key advantage is the assistance in the arduous process of checking in. A personal chauffeur ride to Ensenada, which is a checking in port about 30 kilometres south, helps smooth the historical renowned paperwork trail for Spanish-speaking countries. The official desired our company for the day together with the entire contents of our bank account. We more or less did not understand anything that was happening. The officials wrongly assumed that they were dealing with intelligent and capable listeners. We wrongly thought everything was squared away. We smiled a lot, mimicked nodding dogs, filled out blank boxes with personal details and gave everyone we met some money. We purchased a fishing licence for all persons on board, another requirement, so we had been told. With these licences and new fishing gear, our first and only fish cost about $300. Never venturing outside the marina complex at Salinas, aside from our Ensenada visit, we spent a gentle three days socialising over coffee with kindred spirits. Delightful days that were stitched together with small, simple tasks on board. 
with hurricane season far on the horizon and decisions of a hidey hole to be made, we cast off to make further miles south. A combination of sailing and motoring amid the gentle breath of wind carried us towards Turtle Bay. This was a good time to experiment with our spinnaker poles. Resembling telegraph poles, we were a bit anxious about the whole deal. Blending patience and prior experimentation on other vessels, the process became simple and speedy. The trick is to use plenty of lines, blocks and take your time. Two effortless days later, we glided into Turtle Bay, its wide entrance opening before us like a big welcoming grin. The forecast strong northwesterly compelled us to the nearest northwest protection, located half a mile from the other vessels, which were all local. Facing a white beach and arid rocks stretching for the sky, we sat, read, slept, read, ate and slept for three days. The local fuel touters did not venture out this far and we were left alone and had no compelling urge to rush ashore. Eventually we upped anchor to move closer to town. Extending from the fixed jetty is a lengthy floating dock, safe for dinghies to tie up to. This rickety pontoon appears to be held together with fetid guano. The pong made my nostrils curl. Dusty streets, yapping dogs and friendly smiles greeted us into the small settlement. Jumbled along the dehydrated streets, small abodes crouch around an internet cafe and a miniature supermarket. Spectacular fresh produce, free of chemicals and any adverse tampering, is readily available. The moon was growing in tune with our longing to head south. The forecast northeasterly of 15 knots spiralled into 35 knots. Pye Wackett too, pulled out and reefed to the full, stretched her fine legs and careened down the coast at eight knots. We were en route to Bahia Magdalena, an enormous bay with several anchoring options. Our choice near the small fishing village of Magdalena. Watching Bruce, our anchor, drop and grab in 10 metres, as though falling through air, I delighted in the ache that was about to be soothed. Clean water at last. We can swim here. The thought had me skipping along the deck, almost throwing my clothes off in wild abandon. The Humboldt current maintains a briny cornice, but with a brief burst of skin-stretching chill, thereafter the swim is refreshingly remarkable. With just a few gasps of pain, then a frantic flurry circumnavigating the boat, sporting a zany grin, I yelled to Noel, I feel so alive! This is the stuff that makes me happy. The peace and quiet was tangible. On arrival to a new port, cruisers check in with the port captain. And twice we venture ashore to find the port office closed. No one seemed to care, even when we made ourselves at home in the closed bar. Providing cool shade and within a Wi-Fi hotspot, 
Briefly, we had the most stunning office in the world. The moon was approaching her peak. With a light wind forecast, we watch Magdalena Bay slope off the horizon as we head for the Sea of Cortez. Our dilemma was whether to spend a month in Mexico and then head for Panama or Ecuador before the hurricane season or spend five to six months in the northern end of the Sea of Cortez. Out of the hurricane path, so we thought. Keen for kindred company, our next destination offered a large town. And it was a milestone. Tucked inside the Sea of Cortez lies La Paz, the place to make destination decisions. The calm three-day passage south offered just a smattering of four-knot sailing. The land breeze and sea breeze strangely absent. The sea wearing a velvet coat of calm. But even in calms, things are afoot. Tuning into piwacket sailing sounds and motoring hum, we hear the alternator frying our fully charged and new batteries. Fortunately, Noel dug out an old spare regulator, an easy and temporary fix. However, this was a mere trifling affair to what lay ahead. 36 hours of hell lay in wait after basking in the enchanting watery world. Each trip we've been accompanied by dolphins, passed by whales and watched the frigates do a better job at fishing. We both agreed we had not felt this content for quite some time. As we turned north into the Sea of Cortez, a light and unusual southerly breeze assisted the motoring. The hazy dawn parted to reveal a 16-metre sailboat we had met in San Diego, adrift with engine trouble. They were in no danger and a favourable winds were predicted that day, so we declined to assist. Our VHF carried their forlorn story. They had been adrift for two days. Assuaged by guilt, we threw together a tow rope with a bridle and we would tow them until the wind picked up. Our robust Chrysler hauled the combined mass of 50 tonnes diligently. A few hours from Lorenzo Passage, with its renowned currents and funnelling winds, the wind grew to 12 knots, and on a broad reach, sailing ensued. Envisaging a fun race with a similar-sized boat, we freed the constraints, hauled up our canvas, and it shot away from the seemingly static wind song. As they shrunk on the horizon, we reefed down to handkerchiefs. Upon Lorenzo's narrow passage, we had to turn back to Windsong. As we entered Lorenzo's passage, the wind and 30 of his mates began lifting the seas. Fighting to keep our feet beneath us, we hauled up part of the main to assist the task. Windsong could not do the same. Their infurler reefing was completely jammed. They were now totally disabled, no motor and no sails. I'm sure I heard Neptune snigger 
under the cover of the blackest night in history. At dawn, engulfed by fatigue, the line parted at a critical moment and my eyebrows started to seek sanctuary behind my hairline. The unforgiving currents picked up Windsong and guided them beam on to the quintessence of jagged rocks. Meanwhile, opposing winds lifted the flowing currents, turning a placid passageway into an angry, frothing nightmare. With no time for a textbook tow, we swiftly tied a fender to act as a float to the end of a line and dragged it behind us, carefully keeping it clear of our propeller. We watched the crew on board Windsong valiantly try and fail to retrieve their lifeline, their taut faces matching those of an athlete poised for the starter's gun. On board Piwacket, our concerns deepened for our safety, the engine straining against its mounts as we asked for almost the impossible. With desperation, the crew on Windsong started their engine. A broken engine mount, amongst other problems, meant the shaft could snap at any time, if a fire didn't break out first. Between white-knuckle grips and a collective sucking of breath, we all waited for Windsong's prop to bite in the tumultuous water. We followed them into a safe anchorage. After a brief rest, we hooked up once again and the entourage made for La Paz. With instant mollification, we cast them off into the safety of the marina. A meal out and $200 for fuel just about covered our losses, although there were plenty of gains. More stress lines, grey hairs. La Paz has a fascinating cruisers community and club. It also has concrete stairs haphazardly strewn intermittently along the pavements, ready to break an unsuspecting ankle. The odd jagged pipe, thoughtfully cut off with a blunt instrument, sticks up about six inches above the path, waiting to pierce soft body tissue. If these obstacles don't get you, watch for the air conditions that have been considerately placed at head height. While traversing the streets become second nature, more relaxed times are to be had at Club Cruceros. The club is run by volunteers and brimming with assistance and affability. A daily VHF net welcomes or farewells fellow travellers and assists in pointing you in the right direction for that doodad you have to find. We timed our arrival perfectly with the commencement of a weekend full of seminars provided freely by cruisers with the know-how. Bread making, photography, painting, volleyball, jewellery making, knot tying, dinghy racing and safety were just some of the seminars on offer. With our new membership we attended many professional talks. The Hurricane Seminar was at the top of our list. It was the exploding tins of tomatoes that clinched the deal. Coupled with terrifying pictures of a violent hurricane barreling up the centre of the Sea of Cortez. During the hurricane seminar, I whispered to Noel, Ecuador's looking good. 
Accompanied by a sickening feeling, we knew we had to leave. For us, the risk was too great. When the stories unravelled of all three marinas being wiped out in previous years, El Nino in full force, assisting the water temperature to prime for a humdoey of a cyclone, and experts predicting a bad year, we struggled with the urge to shriek, RUN! and immediately gallop back to the boat. While neighbouring cruisers playing cyclone sweepstake coolly took notes, removed in tomatoes, Noel and I tried not to whimper out loud. It's the hellish heat in that area that causes the tins of tomatoes to explode on board. Noel and I don't deal with heat very well. With that and the cyclones, it was time to go. With a weighty weariness, we prepared for departure. Rob on board Pachuca, a fellow Aussie, pointed out Isla de Cocos to us as a potential stop. This small island, 300 nautical miles southwest of Costa Rica, was directly in our path to Ecuador and may provide us with a brief stop to rest. First, we had the arduous task of checking out. We found we either had less patience or it had become too complex. We were charged 120 US dollars for a health checkout fee. We discovered that the fishing licenses we paid for were not required. We also unearthed errors in our checking in documents, which were significantly frowned upon by the officials. The whole process somewhat stuck in our throat. It was all a bit too much to digest. Acapulco revealed itself for an industrious and potentially good destination to check out and replenish. Heading for the ITCZ, the Intertropical Convergence Zone, we expected to do a lot of motoring. Acapulco is a large industrial bay lined with soaring hotels vying for prime position on the shoreline. Here, checking out was simple, good-humoured and courteous, even amid the problems. We found here that immigration during our check-in had issued the correct papers but failed to stamp the part confirming we had paid. We paid again. Immigration would not have issued this paperwork initially if we had not have paid, but we couldn't argue. Coupled with a small exit fee, we did spend only less than 60 US dollars. When we finally spied the czar pay, the exit papers, the sweeping relief was immense. Replenished, we pointed south into the next throng of problems, the Pacific Vortex. I do hope you enjoyed the brief look at our stops along the way in Mexico and our adventures there. The fees 
we paid on entry and departure seem insignificant now, but this was quite a number of years ago and we were really living on the smell of an oily rag. So every single penny was important to us. It was a nice way to live though. In fact, it was amazing. With that, that's all I have time for. But do go along to sistershiptraining.com and have a look at our other articles. There's more podcasts and videos and tips. I wish you safe sailing.